The Oscar goes to... And the winner is... And the Oscar goes to... The winner is... Oscar goes to... M-M-O-W's Oscar Race Update. September 20th, 2019, the seven-year anniversary of the foreign film category winning Amour, which won an Oscar mm. back in 20, what was seven, so 2012, now I am guess I'm saying the 2013 award show, uh, what was called the foreign film category is now, of course, international film, and what was called MMO, of course, is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. That's where you are right now, and we're back. I'm co-host Mike One. This is co-host also Mike, doing another Oscar race checkpoint for you. Yes, and very deliberately, I have never seen Amour. I have heard, Michael, there's a vacuuming scene that lasts for like three minutes long where she just vacuums <laughs> yeah that sounds like an international it's, film but it sounds like one of the uh you know pitch your worst movie at the end of one of the mmo right. interviews oh, yeah where it's just like a, a oneer. i don't remember if it was reineker or coacher and they said like <laughs> just a oneer of a fruit table and nothing <laughs> happens yeah it's a long day like a saturday afternoon house cleaning that sounds right uh here's your oscar but we have other potential oscar films to talk about today as far as Trailers, news, and film festival roundups go. All the usual good stuff that goes into an ORC episode as well. We're going to play a game of snubbable versus unsnubbable at the end of this with one of the current leaders in one of the major categories. So be on the lookout for that later on. But let's start reviewing some trailers here. Dark Waters had its first look, Michael. Yeah, and speaking of, you know, guilt complex about an older movie, I have a guilt complex about not seeing enough Todd Haynes movies. I've seen, like, a couple of the recent ones. This is nothing like his recent films. No, I don't know that I'm all that familiar with Mr. Haynes' work overall, but go ahead, walk me through it. Well, I mean, Carol, Far From Heaven, Ah, I'm Not There. Right, right, right. You know, we've seen those. Uh, Velvet Goldmine, I I don't think I've ever seen. So Velvet Goldmine has a a young Ethan Hawke on its poster, and it's Robert Pattinson. And this is the thing I've been pitching for a couple weeks uh, it was 97 movie, whoever it is, I, I, Ewan McGregor, I don't care. It's Robert Pattinson and Todd Haynes is a time traveler. And I've been pitching this and I've been shouting into the void on Twitter because nobody's been picking up on it and nobody's been caring and you shouldn't because it's nothing to care about. But that's Robert Pattinson 20 years before Robert Pattinson was a thing. Yeah, Jonathan Reese Myers sure, is who yeah. it actually is. Robert Pattinson. <laughs> it does look like Robert Pattinson in the picture right. that you posted on your Right, on your it's Twitter. Robert Pattinson, yeah. yes. I usually make fun of you for being Mr. Magoo, but... <laughs> But no, you're, you're kind of right there. All right. Anyway, let's review this Dark Waters trailer, Mike. Start with the premise here. A corporate defense attorney takes on an environmental lawsuit against a chemical company that exposes a lengthy history of pollution. Rock on. This seems just like those other titles, right? This is Julia Roberts. She's playing a secretary here. She goes, this is, isn't this like Aaron, Aaron Brock and yeah. Rich, A Time to Kill? Haven't we seen this movie like eight times already? Except instead of uh, those outfits, we get Mark Ruffalo (laughs) driving around, not looking at the road, and you said just sticking out his chin. I don't know what the hell he's doing with his jaw throughout this trailer. It makes me think and assume he's playing a character, a really specific character based on a true life person, because he's doing some things with his jaw. He's sticking it out and going all over the place with it. Uh, You weren't overly impressed with this. Like, his performance is measured... I just don't see any reason where he's a major contender here yet. I mean, yeah, I'm using the word yet on purpose because everything in this trailer is very loud and cliched and Bill Camp. I mean, that's an (laughs) over-the-top Bill Camp. Uh, That's a very strange Bill Camp. I mean, the best acting in the trailer is from Anne Hathaway, but her character is this over-the-top scared wife 
role where she just wants her husband to back down and not stand up for what's right and care about the family, damn it, which, you know, asshole men directors and storytellers have been, you know, putting in their movies since (laughs) 1950s, and it's just an overdone trope, and it's actually a load of shit in many cases, and why are we doing that again here? Bill Camp plays a farmer who tries to appeal to Mark Ruffalo's attorney and get him to represent him, Ruffalo's his big corporate defense attorney, and he says he lost Bill Camp 190 cows. Yeah. Once you hit, like, 60... That's a good point. <laughs> you probably, like, either investigate on it or get out of the farming game altogether, right? Like, what's Six- the magic number of dead cows that you think it's a sign that you should probably leave? I don't know what the pox usually takes, <laughs> but I, I agree with you. Even, like, 30 would right, really severely right. worry me enough. I would agree with that. So, yeah, it's yeah. a little overdone, losing 200 cows. <laughs> You'd probably be out of business at that point. I don't know. I mean, I'm just happy that we started with Country Road by John Denver. We didn't get the whole 2019 musical trope of slowing that down and chopping it up and turning it into a song that it's not, that nobody can do except Jordan Peele, apparently. Right. Like, I'm, I'm glad we, we avoided that. Again, I think it's a character study. I could see it being a little Oscar grabby. I, I can see it. I, I'm intrigued as a movie. Eh, I could see it having Oscar legs. I could see it not. Very meh. This, yeah, me. this Very didn't show me all that much. Uh, we'll go to the second trailer from Ford versus Ferrari. We disagree heavily on this one. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I thought it was a kick-ass, go America, muscle flex, Oscar hopeful, rock out, fist pump, <laughs> hell yeah, kind of a movie here. And I really enjoyed the trailer. I really did. Yeah, but see, I agree with your interpretation, but it's all those reasons I think I have would have trepidations about it being an Oscar contender. Oh, is that the lens we can only view things now, Michael? You can't just go, rawr. I'm sorry, what was the first sentence you said about the Dark Waters trailer? <laughs> if this was the first trailer for Ford vs. Ferrari, I would be concerned. All right, listen, I didn't like the Dark Waters trailer, period. Right. Let me say that. I didn't like it, period. Do I love this as an Oscars movie, especially after uh, we just interviewed Matt Negley from Next Best mm-hmm. Picture, and he compared it to First Man and how that was neglected last year, sure. despite like the early buzz? It makes sense that this kind of marketing is not necessarily going to win over an academy, but that's it's frustrating because we're over-politicizing things. And why can't we have a patriotic movie about Ford beating Ferrari? Yeah. Beating I... my people, the Italians <laughs> overseas, who made, who made better cars for so long. Why can't we have that and be happy with it? That's a fine question. I mean, if, if that's all the, the film is, then yeah, sure. But as far, if you're going to talk about it, whether it has Oscars chances, that's the conflict, right? I mean, it's, it's these a, two giant yeah. corporations going against each other for a dick measuring contest, essentially. But it seems like it's going to be pretty inane. Like, they're not going to have, you know, arguments about immigration in here, are they? No, I would hope not. I don't anyway. think yeah. they're talking about cars. Right. This is this whole trailer was like Hulk Hogan's 1980s music video. It's just like the giant American flag in the background, like muscle flexing, electric guitars. I I thought Christian Bale when he goes into pure intensity mode. Yeah, and he's just like Batman, you know, in the middle of a fight in the (laughs) Nolan trilogy kind of face. Yeah, but didn't you get more of that in the first trailer? I thought this was eased up in this trailer as well. Yeah, but this, but this is you know walking home with groceries, pure intensity mode. 
Christian Bale. And then he can't, like, get told off. Like, you think it's the Matt Damon tell-off scene. And no, it's no, going to be punching in the, be the face. two of them fighting in fighting. the middle of a suburban street. <laughs> I, love I, I do have uh, interest in it, obviously. It's not enough to dissuade me from seeing it. I think the first trailer was, was more of an Oscars-centric trailer, okay. though. Yeah. Um, that's where I would land on that. But, yeah, very Americana in this one, for but certain. I, I did come away thinking Christian Bale's going to be the featured performance. Matt Damon is kind of doing the movie star thing. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy all of the dark, sneering looks of Tracy Letts. <laughs> I did Josh too. Lucas and John Bernthal yeah. there. Yeah. That was fun. John Bernthal. Just showing up in these movies, man. Get those checks, Johnny. Knives Out had its third trailer, and this is one we can't agree on. This was awesome. It this phenomenal. Might have been one of my favorite trailers of the year, and I said that about the first trailer of Knives Out. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. I agree. Mike, I, I want to know everything about every character. Anna DeArmas, Tony Collette, and Jamie Lee Curtis. The performances they're given are really just perking up my antennas. So over the top for each of them, too. They're like against type and over the top. Tony Collette's playing like this Cali girl. Yeah. Chris Evans is could not be smarmier and more self-assured. Anna DeArmas has got all those action slow motion scenes where something's happening to her. Where right. She's in the thick of the plot and she's just emoting like crazy. And you're right, Tony Collette is playing an ocean of subtext and playing it over the top, but not, like, demon-possessed over the top. It's a little less. Right. I love right. it, though. I love it. And I like that she does have that level to go to, demon-possessed over the top. <laughs> she has that gear, which she might get to. Right. And it's but a, she knows that doesn't get her nominated, so why bother? Why bother getting there, yeah. <laughs> it's a satire, too, on the whole whodunit genre, because all those questions that are, like, asked seriously in every version of this movie are asked pretty much on the nose here by a... Southern speaking Daniel Craig investigator, right. which I thought was hilarious as well. <laughs> what if she did get married? What if she did have a, 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 an affair on the side? And I thought I it was hilarious. Ruled out no suspects. Right, <laughs> so over the top. Love it, man. I I can't. This is my most anticipated movie of the year. It's either this or Queen and Slim. I can't wait to see it. It's in my like top three, top five right now, and 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 the guys are performing too. Like Chris Evans has got different comic relief in yeah. each one of these three trailers. We Gotta do this more often. <laughs> Christopher Plummer. I mean, could there be a better casting there than Christopher Plummer? Like, no. he's more intriguing. Like, did he kill himself? Did he frame somebody for murdering him? And then he's going to show up at the end of it. You know, Lakeith Stanfield, is he playing too innocent there? I mean, he's got, like, this strange thing where he's in over his head and he's playing up to it. But is that, like... I'm, I'm questioning everybody here, Mike. <laughs> Even Michael Shannon's evil, but is he evil enough to do this thing? I, I want to know The ensemble award at the SAGs could be a giant one this year because we yeah. have a lot of big ensemble movies where everyone seems True. to be doing a fantastic job. Yeah, I cannot wait. And nothing I've seen or read from anyone who's seen this movie already at TIFF has dissuaded me from thinking this is going to be awesome. So If it wait. was going to be a legitimate Best Picture contender, though, probably would have had to win TIFF. Or at least been in the top three. You would hear some noise about it now. You, all you've heard about it is that it's entertaining and fun and, you mm-hmm. know, all the also ran rhetorical commentary about any other movie that you can have. So. Right. So this is going to be a movie event for us? Or are we going to call it an Oscars from the profile? That is yeah, the It's going to be interesting. We'll see. We'll see as the time comes for sure. Let's move on to some film festival news, Michael. Yes, Rome made The Irishman its centerpiece. This is the Rome Film Festival. So just to orient you folks, we have the world premiere of The Irishman coming on September 27th at the New York Film Festival. We're only a week away Mm -hmm. from hearing some first reaction. It's going to be a big moment 
in this award season. Well, a week and a day, because it'll take everyone a day to actually finish watching that movie for <laughs> how long it is. Probably. That comes out on November 27th as the Netflix date again, so The Irishman is not something we'll be able to get our hands on uh, for a little bit. But, yeah, it's going to uh, New York, then Rome and London, those three film fests. Mike, Bad Education, starring Hugh Jackman, one of the final holdouts from Toronto was nabbed by HBO. I'm shocked. Uh, hmm. People saw this, and there was already a push for this is going to be a major player at next year's Oscars. Hugh Jackman is going to be back for Best Actor. This has a great script attached to it, blah, blah, blah. So I was getting primed to think that this is going to be a, an Oscars contender, obviously, and right. then HBO steps up to the plate, and you would think, I mean, barring something unprecedented, this is going to be a, an Emmy's consideration now. This isn't going to be an Oscar at all. You would think, and yet we have Apple TV, and yet we have Apple Plus and Disney Plus and Netflix and Amazon in Oscar conversations. Is this new HBO Max going to go for Oscars now too instead of Emmys because of all the other Where do you draw the line, right? I mean, that's the whole issue with this streaming war thing. What differentiates Netflix from HBO Max, from Peacock, from any of these other other streaming services? Why wouldn't their original properties that they put and make movies with be considered for the Oscars if Netflix is allowed to be considered for the Oscars. We're going to get streaming. Streaming is going to get their own award show at some point. Yeah. I'm telling you. I, I really think that's where we're headed with this. Uh, unless one of the either Academy or Academy of Television wholly adopts streaming overall. Because I think we are headed for some sort of a giant argument between these uh, these streaming wars. But this one, Bad Education, based off a New York Magazine article from 2004 written by Robert Kolker. I was able to find it. It was titled The Bad Superintendent. And mm. it's about a superintendent in a well-to-do public New York school system that embezzled over $11 million through forged checks and fake businesses and all this stuff. It's this really elaborate wow. scheme so it plays well to this kind of paper chase type movie that have been in vogue certainly in the last few decades here and make great dramatic ironies Hugh Jackman Ray Romano Allison Janney uh, Corey Finley is the director he did Thoroughbreds which we both loved last loved it, year yeah. or two years ago so a lot of high marks if they show it on HBO Max would it be considered for an Oscars if they're going to keep it on HBO which is how I read it may not be true at all but i would think this goes hbo historically the hbo movies have been emmy movies the numbers really stuck out to me and the biggest number is the 20 million dollar sum yeah they paid for it that's like the shock of all shocks because most of the critics you hear that seen this movie give it positive reviews but it wasn't like the talk of the town yeah no, that's true. For the bidding war to happen over this film is really surprising. Yes, you have the star power of Hugh Jackman, but 84% on 25 reviews, 77 Metascore. You have, you know, kind of vegetables for a subject matter in terms of, you know, the largest public school embezzlement scandal in history being its premise. I really don't see that as super duper commercial unless they're posturing this as what? as their one Oscar contender for next year. I don't I, it's very strange to me. It is it is a very strange move overall, but you know, money right now in the streaming wars is a joke. 
The Irishman, yeah. 200 some odd million. Seinfeld just got bought by what? Was it Netflix for 2020 mm-hmm. for $500 million? Like, give me a break with the numbers that are going around and all these streaming titles. So, And yet the Farewell and Midsommar are bought for like seven apiece. Right. Isn't that <laughs> right. wild? Yeah. I, I, it, it makes no sense, especially in light of even something like Late Night, which was bought for $14, $16 million at the film festival and ends up doing relatively nothing once it finally gets to theaters and Amazon. Either the companies and the studios are guessing wildly and just throwing stuff against the wall or they know something we all don't well the thing with streaming though like as long as people are clicking on it they don't care whether how well it does right right? it's just right out of the game that is how well it does if they're clicking on it and they like it and audience scores are you put that thumbs up on there it's true yeah that's i mean that's true the turnaround isn't exactly the cinema score as it would be in theaters the turnaround is how many clicks does it get over the life of however many subscriptions are out there? Yeah. And, and that's why that Netflix was arguing for a time there with the Academy about the theatrical movie-going requirement right. and the fact that it had to be on a minimum number of screens because it would have been better to cut out the critics altogether, Mike. Just debut these films on streaming for the public because, again... You, they, they wouldn't have all the critics' numbers in their head, and they could just say thumbs up or thumbs down. Right. Yeah. They, you know, you interesting know. times. We, we were setting a lot of precedent for something very unforeseen and something we haven't done before as far as where we're going with movie making in the streaming world. And I know that's kind of easy to say, but we're really on the verge of something quite fascinating as far as all these streaming wars go. No question. We do want to give you an update on the running tally of films that were once considered Oscar contenders that are now getting pushed. So Bad Education pushed to HBO, HBO Max, not going to be a factor this year. Mm -hmm. The Rhythm Section just debuted a trailer. We're going to review it on MMOW because it's intriguing. Mm -hmm. But that got pushed to January. We already said the personal history of David Copperfield pushed to January. And The Woman in the Window that we thought was going to be a much bigger deal pushed to May. The Rhythm Section is the newest one. At least that came out, I think, a a month ago or so. A couple weeks ago, they said they were getting moved. At least I missed it. I didn't see it when it happened. But I don't know. That one, to me, never really... Like, an interesting premise, but it seems like they're relying wholly on on a Blake Lively performance there. And films that have done that recently have been critically received well, but haven't necessarily made waves in the Oscars. I'll tell you one thing. She's better than Mark Ruffalo in Dark (laughs) Waters in that trailer. I thought she was good. Like, I actually put it in this episode. I was like, wow, that's a really good performance. That's a vulnerable version of Atomic Blonde. That's like Peppermint, but so much better. (laughs) Let's get this movie. It's a little bit Red Sparrow. It's a little bit this and that. Let's go. And then, oh, January But the January, yeah, the January release has to worry you about that, no? Yeah, it's I totally worries me because right. they put it in crap month. Look, <laughs> the tally on these films falling by the wayside that yeah. were once Oscar contenders keeps the, keeps going up, Mike. We had the Goldfinch, Plummet, La Laundromat, Seaberg, Lucy in the Sky all seem to be written off as of now. I think we're going to go back to Avengers Endgame and One Spot of Time in Hollywood and Us and all these movies in the farewell the that we've been reviewing. funniest subplot mm. of film Twitter in the next few months is going to be with the Feinberg forecast and award circuit and Gold Derby, how they continue to have, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at the top of all its rankings for stuff, yeah. for major categories, and how all the critics who were too cool for school and said it wasn't Tarantino's best and it's not that great a movie and blah, 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 are going to coincidentally 
come out and say, you know, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the second, third, fourth, fifth time, and it it's comes. not that bad. I missed this the first time. It actually gains something on rewatch. Coincidentally, they're all going to have that take. Gonna have That's going to be the funniest subplot going on Twitter, so look out for that. I feel you a bit too empowered I at this moment. I am so jaded by how that movie was received by some people. And yeah, yeah, I'm a little afraid for all of those critics for when that happens, because you are going to let them know about sure it. Sure will. Last story here in terms of a film festival, Mike Kent Jones, director of the New York Film Fest, he is stepping down because he's making narrative fiction films himself, like the movie you watched this year, Diane. Yeah, he's like getting too good. <laughs> So he needs to step down as director from the New York Film Festival. Is essentially what this story is. He's saying he's he's getting more opportunities in his career. He's going to be making more films. He's already got another picture in his chamber. Mm-hmm. Uh, Variety reported that's basically not exactly like Diane, but it's another uh, feminist story with a woman protagonist in the middle. I love Diane. I thought it was great. It technically had its debut last year, but it's a 2019 film for all intents and purposes. Uh, we did our live stream for the Cure back in May for the Epic Film Guys yeah, Twitch channel. We said it was I had it as one of my top films five films of the year at that point and it's really really well done if you have a chance to go seek it out definitely go do it it's well worth your time but i can absolutely see him getting more work based on that alone sure it makes a lot of sense and i'm sure curating the new york film festival has got to be quite the you know time consuming all-encompassing endeavor in and of itself so it would make sense that a man that's has a burgeoning directorial career cannot balance both what was cool is when i was in college Every year we had him come speak to our film classes. Oh, yeah? We, not him, uh, Kent Jones. We had whoever was in charge of it back then. I think it was somebody else. Oh, the director of the film festival? This, Kent Jones, it wasn't Kent Jones, but Kent Jones right. has been working for Scorsese forever, and now he's getting this chance to make his own movies, yeah. his own narrative films. But it was funny to read his interview here because he's like, you know, I used to always make movies about movies when I made movies on my own, when I wasn't working for Marty. When I was making movies on my own, I'm making movies about movies, and I'm basically a critic or a curator there anyway. Mm-hmm. Now there's a bit of a conflict of interest when I'm making narrative fiction and I'm curating this festival. So <laughs> after the festival, he is stepping down. Interesting. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And good, good to him. Kudos to him. And he deserves to pursue that career that has been taking off Definitely. and it's taking off for a reason because he's a very high quality filmmaker so all the best to him and leaves open a very uh, prestigious spot on the film festival circuit now for someone else to step up and see what they can do with the New York Film Festival which is one of the most heralded film festivals in the country I love the New York Film Festival I always have and yeah. we gotta get back there sure right? okay some award season stories adjacent stories here Mike Brad Pitt he's abstaining from campaigning, I didn't mean to rhyme there, but it, it just happened. <laughs> yes. He's abstaining from award season the same way as we're abstaining from giving ourselves reviews on Apple Podcasts. Like, <laughs> we aren't going to do it, but we'll talk about it and remind everyone that's out there so they can do it for us if they'd be so kind. Uh, and we'd absolutely appreciate it if you did, by the way. Yeah. What he, does this mean, he's abstaining? He called campaigning, quote, shackling and against mm-hmm. the purity of storytelling. That's because he's in the lead for the supporting actor category right now, and he doesn't want anyone to campaign he against want him. Jinx it! <laughs> I, like, like I could totally see his point in it, in it, in to a degree. If you're a purist, sure. Like if you yeah, if you absolutely. are truly a purist and you're like, all right, I'm not gonna shake hands and charm my way to this win. I want to just win on the merits. On the merits of the, right. All right, fine. But that's never been the case for everybody or anybody. And anyway, Brad Pitt. I mean, yes, there's cost to opportunities, there's cost to time and all this, and 
he's not the one spending his money to campaign for himself. Sony's going to be doing his campaigning, right? But he's still going to campaign for the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood video release a little bit, right? I mean, is that is that already over with? I mean, he's not going to do anything for that? I mean, Yeah, I don't know what abstaining from campaigning means in his head. He's campaigning to sell Ad Astra right now. Right. I don't know he's doing that. Right. I mean, he's doing the promotional material for the tours. I guess he's just not going to sit down for those big think pieces for an Entertainment Weekly and Variety when they come around to, like, December and talk, ask for career retrospectives and stuff like that. I don't know. Again, campaigning for the Oscars is the studio's job. That's what they do. So he's not a studio head. God bless him. He's one of the greatest actors we have. It involves well going to old folks' homes and <laughs> giving them, you know, old-timey versions of the movie posters. Right. But, like, done in the 1950s sense. Try to get those old Exactly. Folks. So I, I, I'd love to know more about that, but I think him talking about abstaining from campaigning is still his campaigning anyway, and I think he knows exactly what he's doing here. And also, if you have a free second, if you can leave us a five-star review on yes. Apple Podcasts, <laughs> we'd appreciate that as well, just as much as Brad Pitt would. No question. All right. So, Best International Films... A bunch more selections were made. 23 more countries, in fact, yeah. Mike, of the eventual 87, I believe that final number is. Here are some highlights to me. Number one, with a bullet, France. They have not had the best track record of selecting female filmmakers, despite the recent success of the their last nominee, which was in 2015, the movie Mustang. They've neglected the Claire Denise and the Agnes Vardas and and past Oscar selections. So this is important that we get Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We get Celine Shiama's mm. film here. Yeah, so. I'd argue it probably speaks to the undeniable quality of the film, too. And again, international film this year, it's a three-headed beast. We know there's going to be three that will be there. It would have been a shock and a giant upset if Portrait of a Lady on Fire didn't get the selection from France. So they do the right thing here, I would argue. Yeah, well, that set us up for a big fail. Hey, guys, what's up? Mike One coming to you a day after uh, we recorded this episode right now, September 20th, about noontime. I wanted to add this part in just so you guys know. We misinterpreted a story that we read, and that's why we said Portrait of a Lady on Fire was France's official selection for the international feature film category. That's not the case. Just came out. The official word came out today, about a couple minutes ago, that it's going to be Les Mis from filmmaker Laj Lee. I'm... Apologies if I mispronounced that, but again, it's our fault. We misinterpreted a story that was out there, misread it, uh, so that's why we said in this episode that Portrait of a Lady on Fire is the France submission, and by how much I was saying it would have been an upset and a shock if it wasn't that submission, we all should have known that this was bound to happen anyway. Uh, <laughs> just saying, uh, again two-pronged issue with that one it does continue the the penchant that france has had for issuing the female helmed films as far as their official selections for this category goes uh and two again we just wanted to correct the record so i wanted to come on here record a quick interlude and tell you guys that the, we, we misinterpreted something we were wrong this is us correcting the record it's les mis as the official selection from france for the international feature film category not portrait of a lady on fire kind of a big deal kind of shocking as far as what Portrait of the Lady on Fire has done thus far in award season, and it looks like we will not, in fact, be having that three-headed monster race for the international feature film category. If nothing else, it probably paves the way for Parasite to have an easier way, uh, easier lane, an easier road, I should say, for landing that Oscar in this category. Will it mean more for Parasite in other categories? We'll see. But again, correcting the record, our apologies. 
misinterpretation on our part of news that we read. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, not France's official submission. Les Mis is France's official submission for the International Feature Film category. Uh, our apologies once more, and I will get you back to the episode. <laughs> Indonesia, they're going to have the controversial coming-of-age drama called Memories of My Body. This one at Venice last year. That will be their official selection for the category this year. Cambodia picked In the Life of Music. This is a romance surrounding the reign of the Khmer Rouge, Mike. Khmer Rouge, and this scared me, this whole premise. Yes. It's real, and it still scares me from the movie we watched last year, done by Angelina Jolie. What was that called? Please help me. That was First They Killed My Father, yes, Michael. I looked yes, that up yes. all by myself off the top of my head right now. We absolutely <laughs> didn't pause and have an edit right now. Never. <laughs> um, and nothing, I would argue, nothing says flourishing love and coming-of-age romance like the tyrannical oppressive rule of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. So that's a spot-on movie for, for that time. It's the scariest joke you've made this <laughs> these last ten minutes. I will say that. I'll give it to you. Kenya is going to have Subira. Subira, it's a feminist statement of a film about a young woman who has a dream of swimming in the ocean against local customs. Oh, men, we suck. Sure do. She can't go and swim in the ocean nah, why because bother? it's against our customs yeah, you know. in Kenya? Equality. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we're terrible. That's, that's pretty accurate there. Ethiopia has picked Running Against the Wind, which is a, a film right up my alley because it's about a man hoping to make the Olympics as a track star. <laughs> I like that. And it's also lower stakes, I would argue, Thank than God. going against the Kenyan customs of not being able to swim as a female. Thank God. Latvia has The Mover. It's about Oscar Schindler of Schindler's List during the Holocaust. You sure it's not about Chris Stapp's Porzingis <laughs> trying to get his way out of <laughs> you know, New York? Dallas. Yeah, that's the, the much coveted Oscar Schindler, Chris Stapp's Porzingis humor that's what people come in here nobody for. even knows what that means <laughs> and everybody who does know just turned us off taiwan picked dear x and this is a gay themed drama that swept the golden horse and taipei film festival awards a year after taiwan legalized same-sex marriage this is one of those feel-good stories for once we get in the best international <laughs> film category yeah taiwan is also the first asian country to have legalized same-sex marriage so it's certainly a step in the right direction there and Credit, too, to at least what I was able to see about them in research. I'm not claiming to be an expert because I obviously don't know anything about the ins and outs of them or where they play on the national stage, but it seems like there's been a concerted effort made to make their government more democratic over the past 30 years or so. So if that's the case, good job there as well. And it certainly is more uh, palatable than, I'd say, going against the what we see in the news lately about what's going on in Hong Kong with the uh, the country's police going against the peaceful protesters there and et cetera, et cetera, kind of an uprising going on so credit where it's due as long as that's actually what's happening i'm not missing anything important we might be but uh, yes an international film story that's actually happy and you know let's yeah feel good. right let's feel good hopefully that's, anyway uh the czech republic they selected the painted bird which is about a boy wandering around nazi occupied poland during world war ii witnessing Jesus. one atrocity after the next and this prompted mass walkouts in Venice and Toronto. Mike, we got a 75 meta score. We got Harvey Keitel, Barry Pepper, Stellan Skarsgård all in this cast. Big cast. The uh, Painted Bird. Notorious story, but if it was that atrocious to watch, you would think a 75 meta score wouldn't be its score right now, right? You would think it'd be a little lower? Did people abstain yeah. from metascoring it if they walked out? Certainly a, a very 
appealing, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word of it, for it but a, an intriguing plot. An intriguing the poster premise. scares the shit out of me. There's like yeah. a kid buried to his neck oh, just in the soil there. What a crazy time. Oh, oh man. Uh, Norway out-stealing horses. Silver Bear winner at the Berlin Film Festival. It stars Stellan Skarsgård, who's getting his reps in this year. As a grieving widower who has a chance encounter that rekindles the past. Speaking of chance encounters, it's got a 69 Metascore right now. Nice. <laughs> Mike, this is a parade of <laughs> sadness, this whole section. Oh, no. All right, finally something somewhat happy. I'm sure there's a plot line that is just about the most depraved <laughs> a- act of human nature. But we have Aladdin's Jafar Marwan Kanzari in a romance with Carice Van Houten. This is the movie Instinct, selected by the Netherlands, and I'm going to believe this is happy. I hope it's everything you need it to be. I hope that's true. Uh, Germany has a movie called System Crasher. It's about a nine-year-old who acts out in foster homes in the hopes of being restored to living with her mother. My God. Talk about a parade of sadness. Also was a winner at the Berlin Film Festival. And finally... uh... (laughs) We've just gotten more and more depressed in our tone as we've gone down this list of what these countries have nominated. Brutal. Brutal. (laughs) Austria picks Joy... Which guess yeah, guess what is not about a happy thing. <laughs> There's no way that's, that's seventy five Metascore, Mike. Easily the most misleading title. I would. It's bet. about sex trafficking in Austria. Oh my goodness. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so aside from all that misery that a lot of these films are taking, look, that's the power of film, right? You take something that needs a spotlight on it, no matter how harrowing and awful the subject matter, you put the spotlight on it, you know people react. It just is a shame that it's left up to the International Film Festival to cover all of this with their one selection per country. Good God. Aside from that, uh, the biggest takeaway for me from this category is that a lot of these titles have a lot of intrigue, they have great cast, they have certainly reasons to be hopeful about their Oscars chances, and yet... The only international films that we've really heard a lot about have been that three-headed monster of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Parasite, and what am I missing? Pain and Glory. Pain and Glory. Thank you very much, Almodovar, there. That kind of, to me, speaks to the power of those three right now and why I expect it to be down to those three come Oscars time and all throughout award season. It's possible. I'm still a little hesitant for Pain and Glory because I've seen Almodovar get snubbed time and again after a Golden Globe nom that he won't get at the Oscars. So Mm. I'm not buying that one wholeheartedly just yet. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, For what it's worth, I do think Parasite's going to leader in the clubhouse right now still amongst all of those some future oscars news we actually have a nice story here wes anderson's (laughs) the french dispatch has been acquired by fox searchlight so this is a good story for you in many ways a you like wes anderson b you like dispatches especially those from france just making that (laughs) yeah no that's that's no but three is the big thing you know fox searchlight is actually buying stuff i resent disney letting fox buy things under the Fox label and not saying Disney. Well, here's the thing. Ready or Not is making good money. Mm-hmm. We seem to have Jojo Rabbit about to make a very good money at the very least. Mm-hmm. It's Fox Searchlight is turning their year around. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good point. And hopefully it continues that way. And it's, it's so weird to be in this position where I need to root against Disney. But the only way to root against Disney is to hope that their ancillary property makes money. And so Disney makes money. They've won. They figured out the game. They've, so even the only if, way to root against them is to give them money. It's a great position to be. Wow, in. that's a great position to be in. 
You think you've just whittled it down there. All right, we got a game to play. We yeah, let's a... play Snubbable versus Unsnubbable. Yeah. Let's do it with one of the category leaders. So our most recent Oscar Sprint profile, if you've listened, was, of course, on the Jennifer Lopez, Lorene Scafaria-directed and written movie, Hustlers, uh, that has kind of taken the moment by storm right now. Everybody is talking about Jennifer Lopez as being the leader in the clubhouse right now when it comes to the supporting actress category. And seeing as we uh, like having disagreements on this show, we figured we would have <laughs> on a <the> game. Show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fair enough. We figured we would have a game of snubbable versus unsnubbable when it comes to the chances of Miss Lopez's acquiring nomination, right. not win, landing nomination in the supporting actress category for her performance in Hustler. So listing the reasons as why Miss Lopez is snubbable for nomination will be myself, but co-host also Mike here will start and talk about why Jennifer Lopez in Hustlers is in fact unsnubbable for the supporting actress category. Well, I mean, if this was a courtroom, and I did have to argue in the affirmative here, Michael, I would basically just blare one of her songs and do one of her dances and plit the green dress as Don't Exhibit be A. fooled by the rocks that I got. <laughs> exhibit A, green dress. We all know that you want J-Lo at your award show. But not going to do it's that because you I can't have any visual <laughs> tools here. But there are legitimate reasons, I think, to make my argument here. And I know we're both kind of taking positions. Do I believe this wholeheartedly that she's unsnubbable? I don't know, but I'm going to talk myself and you into it right now. Fair enough. Toronto resulted in an outpouring of support that is somewhat unprecedented in recent years because we've seen this happen before and Thompson just astutely referenced back to the fact that Jennifer Aniston was kind of one of the last darling superstar comebacks at a film festival like TIFF for her movie Cake. But she also mentioned the fact that Cake is very different from Hustlers. Cake was this indie film that was a blip on the radar. Hustlers is the number two at the box office in a big second week from It Chapter 2. So Hustlers is going to make a $100 million profit. Yeah. Hustlers has given Jennifer Lopez now a national podium, essentially. Like, so the visibility for J-Lo's performance is total. She is on CNN. She's on Sirius Radio. The campaigning for this film, and now the Oscar campaigning has gone one and the same, coming out of TIFF. And they've really at least in, in the minds of every Academy member, the Academy member saying, I got to see Hustlers because J-Lo's the front runner now. There is no doubt she is an, a super duper star amongst the likes of some very heralded names to the fact that you can only say three letters and everybody does know who in fact who you're talking about. Yes, I agree. So Holly Hunter a couple years ago for the big six, she might've been an early front runner for that film, but she wasn't necessarily on national news and being covered to this extent. Yes. Hal Ho is not exactly as well known as J-Lo. I agree. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm winning these minor skirmishes <laughs> thus far. The next major difference, though, is the critical coverage and the how the pundits are covering. Now, how much does this matter? It matters because these people are good at what they do. And I, I, I do stand behind them. But they even they would admit to a person their picks right now aren't going to be the picks come Oscar time. Mm -hmm. All that being said, 
We bumped our weekly Joker character study to cover this movie. Yes. IndieWire, the big picture podcast, they devoted entire episodes to it. And Scott Feinberg's first forecast at Yay Alliteration, he's <laughs> put her at number one on his list of best supporting actress frontrunners. We asked him specifically over the DMs there, Mike, you did on Twitter. Does that mean she's your number one frontrunner? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, she certainly is one of the actresses of the moment. We probably haven't had somebody claim a spot in one of the nominating categories this hard this year since Brad Pitt in the supporting actor race from Hollywood. Yes, I agree. So unless there is, quote unquote, category fraud, that is a term from Ann Thompson, who I keep referencing in this blurb here because she's awesome, Mm -hmm. where lead actresses essentially go supporting to try and get a nomination and get a win where where when they couldn't have gotten it in the main category. Now, that could happen. We both prognosticated the fact that that's probably going to happen to one extent or another. It probably happened last year. It's happened every year, just about. But the field right now looks very, very thin. There seems to be agreement on Laura Dern from Marriage Story, that she's all over the place. She's in everybody's top fives. Otherwise... It's all over the place. We had the reports Annette Benning. She was up top there for months. But for months, people have already seen this at Sundance. And we still don't hear anything definitive about her like she's undeniable, I would say. So I don't see this category taking shape yet. And here we have J-Lo. Six out of 26 experts on Gold Derby picking her to win. 16 are picking her in their top five. Clayton Davis has her at three. Five of the nine at Next Best Picture have her in the top five. So the critics are standing by her thus far. I don't think you've said anything that objectively I can disagree with. Oh, thank God. (laughs) So that's your opening statement, Counselor? It it is. I can't say (laughs) something cool like the defense rests yet. I mean, you could. No, I don't want to rest. I have more. I have more. But all right. So you you give your opening statement? Yeah. Here's here's the defense as to why Miss Lopez is completely snubbable for this performance. The easiest answer is that her performance lacks a blowaway scene. And as such, it's arguable arguable, I say, as to whether or not it's even on the level of some other recent supporting performances that escape nomination altogether. Objection. Such as <laughs> Cynthia Erivo in Widows, Claire Foy in First Man, or Michelle Yeoh in Crazy Rich Asians. Objection. I had to figure out if I like the phrase blowaway scene. <laughs> I definitely do not like the phrase blowaway scene. It's too close to other phrases. Fair enough. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't disagree. Go none ahead. of those women... <laughs> By the way, the Claire Foy's, the Michelle Yeoh's, the Cynthia Erivo's of years past, last year, none of those women had the cinematography and editing of their films catered to their characters nearly as much as Hustlers was centered on Ramona's looking good. But that's conjecture and subjective anyway, and more importantly, I'm not sure I even agree with that argument, so that won't be the basis for what I'm saying to you today. I kind of agree with that argument. It's, it's right there. It's, it's close. I mean, it's close. I mean, there's good cinematography. There's good production values. Do they serve the story as much as The Hustlers serves Ramona? Right. I don't know. I think that's undeniable. I mean, we talked about that in the OSP, too. Ramona is helped out immensely, but the film was catered to help her out, so it's oh, doing yeah. its job. And why is she suing again? Because she can. The real Ramona. <laughs> Basically, yeah. You can give her life rights, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Miss Lopez. (laughs) Let's talk about facts. Jennifer Lopez is snubbable because of A24 and Annapurna. Did I win? (laughs) 
It's a good argument, damn it. Fine, I'll elaborate. One of the main reasons is that Hustlers was famously purchased for distribution by SDX, a studio which is not all that large and doesn't have a wealth of experience campaigning for actor categories at the Oscars or Oscars overall. Mm -hmm. I would argue the only experience SDX does have and the closest it ever came to winning any acting Oscar for one of its films was Jessica Chastain's performance in Molly's Game, where Chastain landed a nomination at the Golden Globes for Best Actress Drama, but failed to make one of the five slots at the Oscars. So I like it when you go behind the curtain here and you bring up precedent in terms of Oscar campaigning because we just talked about that with Brad Pitt. Right. We just talked about the fact that it's so studio-centric and required for for studios to do. I mean, we're looking at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood about to really hit the campaign trail themselves and everything that Disney does. Michael, just because they're untested, though, doesn't mean they'll never... They wouldn't, if they have a major contender you know, anti up for it. I would argue I also do this because I don't know what I'm talking about from a screenwriting perspective. But <laughs> to allay your concern right there, while I don't disagree, we could talk a little bit about her performance. Because if you aren't a tour de force performance or part of a film that becomes a cultural phenomenon, landing nomination at the Oscars takes a lot of money from your studio. Right. And SDX has actually made a decent bit of money this year. Hustlers is certainly on its way, but it also distributed The Upside, which made a boatload and had smaller hits like another Jennifer Lopez-led film, Second Act, which grossed $72 million on an $18 million budget. But for every second act in Hustlers STX has had... They're still considered a mid-major because they've also had things like Best of Enemies, which was made only $10 million plus on a $10 million budget, Free State of Jones, which made $25 million on a $50 million budget, and also Mike's favorite, Ugly Dolls, which uh. grossed $27 million worldwide on a $45 million uh, budget. But that's almost like cleansing, the fact that that movie didn't make money, though, right? <laughs> it's cleansing. It's good for the soul. Like, we can't do that shit no more. They uh, know that now. It's probably fair. But they still have to learn to recover. They still have to recover from the uh, financial pratfall that do that they movie have laid out. The, do they have the excess funds to campaign for JLo? Sure. And we know SDX isn't going to be getting much help on the FYC campaign from Annapurna. Annapurna, at this point, is lucky to even be in existence. We've documented their financial pitfalls that they've been coming over as well. Uh, we know that there's been bigger studios that have had probably better performances in bigger acting categories. Yes. That have failed to campaign at all. I'm looking at UA24 last year with Tony Collette and Hereditary. And then last year for Bo Burnham in 8th grade. Yeah. Uh, co-sign, A24 certainly more established in the industry than SDX. So I would argue that J-Lo not having a blow-away performance. I emphasize blow-away now that I know it gets under your skin. Oh, no. And maybe worse for her cause, having the opportunity and scene set up for a blow-away performance and her not delivering, I think she's snubbable. And I say that second part asking you this counselor okay can you tell me a line from her performance in hustlers that wasn't motherhood is an illness hmm no there you go well come on does it have to have a quote quotability yeah i rest my case it's not quotable we saw it once and then we reviewed it immediately after we just talked about how we're cutting down to three episodes this week because we're dead we're dead tired between work and this and everything and we're freaked out so Michael, yes. I'm not going to put that against this argument. I hope you would agree with me. 
So let me just say something about the uh, performance. I was more bullish on it than you were. I do yes, see I do see a lot going on in those last two scenes, and I do think those last two scenes, you're left with them at the end of the movie, and therefore you're walking away thinking she was better than maybe she was mm-hmm. in the movie because her last two scenes are what you're left with. They, so, they are memorable, I, will, I do admit that. I love those two scenes. I think that's going to matter. I mentioned it in our review. I compare this performance to kind of that movie star with a little bit extra nominations of the past you've had annette benning for the grifters you've had really a debut but a star making performance with kate hudson from almost famous Mm -hmm. alan arkin in little miss sunshine is basically alan arkin and everything else and then he has a couple scenes do you think you're the only person alive that sees Jennifer Lopez and thinks of Alan Arkin and Little Miss because Sunshine. Because it's the same structural... <laughs> the character is the same structural Jennifer importance. Lopez in a G-string bending over on stage, and your first thought is that old curmudgeon bald That's man. the same just plot device that Alan Arkin was in Little Miss Sunshine. I'm kidding. Yes, go on. <laughs> Even though, and it was a delayed effect in that movie, but it's the same thing. And, uh, all right, Richard E. Grant and Can You Ever Forgive Me was the four I mentioned last week. Now, I also can go further back or further within the weeds here. Pick out Queen Latifah from Chicago. Pick out Kathy Bates in both About Schmidt and Bates in Primary Colors. Pick out Jessica Lange, who won for Tootsie in 1982. All of these performances jumped out to me, having similar plot implications as characters functioning as a mentor slash mirror for the protagonist slash foil, whatever you want to say where the whole movie rests on their relationship with that protagonist. Now. I like the Queen Latifah comparison a lot, by the way. Well, the Queen Latifah is more because here's Queen Latifah being great at what she always does. Exactly. And then you have a couple of scenes. And Jennifer Lopez is dancing, and she's dancing what she was known for at first. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. So, I think these movie star performances, they come along seldomly, but they do get nominated in many cases. Now, to summarize, my argument is this. You have the power of the narrative, which hit CNN and hit everything. And I wonder how necessary the campaign actually is if she's just gone viral, essentially, over the last two weeks as being in the Oscar frontrunner. I argue that there is some precedent, even though you might get mad at my you know picks there but i see things in a screenwriter way and i I do think there's a lot of similar plot implications for all those characters i mentioned it's a weak year in this category thus far unless you get category fraud and that cannot be disputed yet there's overwhelming adoration for this comeback story the sheer popularity of the film etc etc minus quote-unquote the score bombers Finally, I do think it's a worthy performance. Now, we may disagree about that, but I'm just saying, would she have been unsnubbable last year to take a poke at myself? No, she would not have been in my top five last year. Right now, I haven't seen anything better, and she's my number one thus far. It's hard to make an unsnubbable argument. I did my best. What do you guys think? Yeah, we want you guys to be the judge and certainly let us know if you think Jennifer Lopez is snubbable or unsnubbable. Leave us those comments. As always, for what it's worth outside of the argument, I think I do tend to believe she will be there because I think the weakness of the year right now, I mean, look, we love Margot Robbie, but she's probably number in the top three. Not a ton of screen time to that character, even unless you count the actual Sharon Tate reels that just, were shown right but just think about margot robbie up against last year's five right no chance right no, probably not that. yeah 
in the year before that. No chance. Probably not. In my eyes. I mean, nothing against her. But here's the thing. Do you think come December, January, we're going to be having visions of J-Lo's reels and her scenes dancing in our heads as like the moment? Like, did J-Lo have anything that's akin to, I know it's a different category, but akin to Margot Robbie staring at herself in the mirror and I, Tanya? Again, you're using metaphors that are just dangerous for the subject matter. (laughs) Because, gosh darn it, yes. You think so? She's going to be dancing in my well, head. Well, all right, not the dancing. Forever. Forever. I'm never going to forget that. It was the greatest moment in cinema ever. All right. Do you think any performance she has, any scene she has, will define the film year, let's say? I, I do think okay. that. I do think we're, I mean, so far. I mean, that is one of, if you, we had a top five scenes of the year right now, that that scene at the beginning of the movie, that entrance for Jennifer Lopez in this movie is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if we think about it, I mean, it's, are, are we picking it for all the wrong, shameful, shameful <laughs> reasons? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. But I'm probably picking it. Finally, don't have to give best ass to John Goodman for the 30th year in a row. Yeah, that's a good point. Guys, we're obviously, like we said, we do want to know your thoughts on whether you think or were persuaded at all whether Miss Lopez is snubbable or unsnubbable for the Best Supporting Actress category. Uh, if enough of you people vote, enough of you people chime in, maybe we'll crown a winner. Maybe we'll have some kind of uh, thing that goes along with it. We'll see. It's really for your guys' uh, enjoyment and your guys to tell us what to do. We do love putting out this new stuff and trying to cater to what you guys want to hear. You are what makes this show go round. We're like uh, Roman from Succession. We'll we'll do whatever you need. We'll do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> right on the bit. <laughs> That's quoting. I think I got it right. We do want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything covered in this episode as well as anything going on in the MMO Empire as always. Uh, we can leave us those at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere. You hear podcasts including and especially Apple Podcasts if you have an iPhone, if you go to your podcast app, tap search in the bottom right-hand corner, type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar and submit. You'll be able to see our logo. Tap on that once. Scroll down once. It takes 30 seconds to leave us a five-star review if you appreciate the content we put out here. We cannot thank you enough for doing that. And if you tell your friends, all the better. If you leave us a comment, maybe we'll even read it out on air live during one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Michael, let's tell these fine people what's coming next, and let's give them some words of wisdom to go out on. Well, we're going to get back to our Joker character study. we got Heath Ledger, Jared Leto. Leto episodes coming for you guys over the next two weeks. We're going to, week three there is the premiere of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, so we're going to have fun with those. Yeah. We're going to get to Ad Astra, like we said earlier. We're going to get to it next week because since last October, we've been putting out four episodes a week and we're basically making an excuse to take the weekend off (laughs) this weekend. We're we're dead tired and uh, we want to just watch the Emmys. We got to work a lot and it's just, it is what it is. So we apologize, but we both kind of agree today after like one of the weirder arguments we've ever had (laughs) pre-recording. And we're like, why are we having this inane, ridiculous argument? Well, because we're we're overtired. Yeah. Life happens. Life gets in the way. Get tired. Take a day. So So hopefully, hopefully you guys can land, you know, survive on 18 hours of MMO this week as opposed to your usual 27. We'll get back to our four next week based on necessity, I think. (laughs) 
we we're going to go three this week. And right. thank you for all your listening. We're really putting up good enough numbers where yeah. we feel cocky, I guess, right now. So where we can just say, all right, here's three. You'll deal with it. No. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, but like you said, we will be getting to add Astro. We will be giving that the Oscar Sprint Profile treatment. We will have the Joker character studies next week. We will have MMOW probably after the Emmys to, to recap all that. And, uh... Ah, words of wisdom or take the weekend off yourself, right? Yeah, take the weekend off yourself. Go back and listen to a bunch of our old stuff. There's no way you listen to everything we did. We just did <laughs> Downton Abbey a week early, Hustlers. Yeah, I mean, go back. Our old stuff is good. We stand by it. And it is the spooky season coming around the corner. We have sure. plenty of horror-themed episodes for you to dive into as well. Um, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness, guys. When reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We will see you after the weekend.